Alrighty, folks, we are here to review John Wick 4. Yes, John Wick 4. This video is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I wanted to love it. I wanted to love it so bad. I really wanted to love it because John Wick 1 is great and John Wick 2 is great and John Wick 3 is less great and John Wick 4, nope. I know, I'm gonna piss off the internet now, but prepare yourself. We're gonna go through this in detail. There will be many spoilers. So just telling you, if you haven't seen it or if you intend on seeing it, this is not gonna be the review for you because I'm just gonna say a bunch of stuff that happens in the movie now because in order to understand why this movie did not work for me, I actually have to say those things. So let's begin with the first point here. This movie is two hours and 49 minutes long. Two hours and 49 minutes long. Return of the King was three hours and 20 minutes long. The entire Wagnerian ring cycle is not nearly as long as this movie. I mean, one thing, if the movie were just chock full of plot, if there's a lot happening, but there really isn't. It basically was just the director of the film decided that he was in love with the action sequences. And let me tell you, the cinematographer, and the, and the choreographer, those are the guys who earned their money on this film because every fight scene is 20 minutes. Every fight scene should have been about six minutes. And listen, I love me a good, radical, violent John Wick killing a bunch of people scene. I mean, that's great. I, I really enjoyed the first two movies and a half. But these scenes go on forever. And the body count at a certain point actually gets numbing because there's so much of it. John Wick will be in a scene and he will, he'll take out the first five guys. You're like, oh, I really like how he took out those guys. And then we'll go on for another 10 minutes with him just taking out faceless guys using very close to identical moves. And it stops being amusing at a certain point and just starts to get monotonous. Okay, so we're going to try to break down this review into four particular areas. Area one, plot problems that I have with the movie. Area two, logistical problems that I have, just things I couldn't overlook in terms of suspension of disbelief. Three, the action itself. And four, character problems. So let's start with the plot. If you don't know the John Wick story, one is about John Wick being a former assassin, like the greatest assassin on planet Earth. He has a dog given to him by his late wife. The dog is killed by a son of a Russian mafioso. He takes revenge, kills everybody. So movie two is about world building. He is now dragged into a broader conspiracy by people he kind of owes from this world in the world of the table. The table is the grand overarching scheme by which very powerful people essentially run all of global politics and they have a system of assassins who work for them. Movie three is it's kind of him against the world because he has killed a member of the table. And it's how does he navigate all of that? By the end of movie three, you've now been set up with the problem for movie four. He's apparently been quasi-betrayed, but not really kind of betrayed by Winston, played by Deadwood Guy. Movie three ends with the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, picking his body up off the street and being like, are you angry? And Sean Wick being like, yeah, yeah. Which is like legitimately 52% of all of Keanu Reeves' dialogue in the John Wick series which is fine. It's what you're here for. You're here to watch John Wick say, yeah, and kill people. That, that's what you're here for. Now, it's him versus the table, right? He's going to take down the entire structure. He's going to Daenerys Targaryen style, break the wheel. That's where we are. He proceeds to spend all of movie four not taking down the table, not taking down the table. He says at the beginning, he's going to take down the table. He kills an elder of the table, and then he proceeds not to take down anyone else from the table. It turns out that the big baddie in this movie is the Marquis de Gramont. Now, we know that he's really bad because he dresses incredibly well. He drinks sweet espresso and he shoots the assistant to Winston, Chiron, right? Who unfortunately in real life just passed away. It's a really sad story. But in the movie, he shoots that guy. That's how we know he's bad. We know he's real bad. Now, why is he worse than anyone else in the films? I don't know. 
Winston seems like not an amazing guy. Like all these people work for an actual assassin's cartel and they murder people for a living. So the Marquis de Grammont, he, he just, he lacks as a, as a sort of big baddie villain. And by the way, he has no actual skill set. We never actually see him in battle. We never actually see that he's like amazing at killing people. We never see any of that stuff. It feels like when they wrote the plots of this movie, they knew what the plot was supposed to be. And so there are a bunch of references in the movie to the plot and they just didn't get to them. So what I mean by that is there's a scene, for example, where the Marquise is sitting inside the Louvre and he's looking at a very famous painting from the French Revolution of Lady Liberty, who is charging up out of a battle. And it's supposed to be like, oh, this is going to be like the French Revolution. It's going to be like the people taking down the table, but they don't do it. They don't do it. Nothing in the movie deals with the table. The plot then makes no sense. Plot problem number one, the entire crux of the film relies on John Wick buying his freedom by challenging the Marquis to a duel. Now, why that would work in the rules of the table, not really explained because this is a really stupid rule. Why, why would he be able to basically buy himself a get out of jail free card by murder challenging somebody? Like he's a murderer. That would be a really stupid way for the table to have a rule. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. But here's the problem. The person who informs him of this rule that would allow him to get back in with the table and buy his freedom is Winston. You know who John Wick has known since literally the beginning of the series, apparently, is Winston. You know who could have told him this in movie two after he killed a member of the table? Winston. You know who didn't tell him that? Winston. So none of that makes any sense. Then you get to the actual plot. He kills the, the elder in the desert. Then he proceeds to go to Osaka, Japan. Why is he there? Does anyone know? Really, like Bueller, Bueller why is he there? Is he there for weapons? No, he doesn't pick up any weapons. Is he there to get advice from Shimazu? Nope, Shimazu provides him no advice. Is he there to put together some sort of plan? Nope, he's just there. And coincidentally, everybody from the Marquise's place is also there to take down John Wick. And so we have about a 35-minute, really, really long battle scene that has no actual purpose other than to have Shimazu die, which is really only set up so that you can have like a post-credit little scene with Shimazu's daughter and set up maybe the future of the franchise beyond John Wick. Like that, that entire sequence is completely useless. You could have just had John Wick start the movie by going to New York and finding out from Winston that he can fight the duel. The entire Osaka sequence is completely irrelevant. Utterly, completely irrelevant. Okay, then the idea is that he has to go to Berlin and he has to beg, borrow, and steal his way into a family and he has to obtain the tooth of fat bastard and he brings it to the family. The family sponsors him for the duel and then he goes to Paris. And then we get an entire sequence of events where the Marquis apparently wants the duel to be the next morning because he wants to unleash his assassins on John Wick and kill John Wick before they even get to the next morning. And a notice goes out via the Marquis that everybody should go kill John Wick. So we're back to movies two and three, because there's a lot of this in movies two and three. So John Wick then goes underground to literally the subway. The Bowery King has made his way over to Paris. For some reason, the Bowery King, who has access to a boat, like a really nice boat, and can take him through the canals of Paris, can only let him off in like the very center of Paris, a substantial distance from where he needs to be at sunrise. And he doesn't do this like 15 minutes before sunrise. He does it like two hours before sunrise, giving everyone their chance to kill John Wick. I understand, listen, this is all just an excuse to see John Wick kill people in cool ways. I get it, I get it. But, you know, plots are supposed to have some sort of substance to them. Okay, finally, they get to the end of the movie and he gets to this duel. He's not going to be dueling the Marquis. He's going to be dueling Kane, Donnie Yen. They fire a couple of shots at each other. Kane finally shoots him enough to kill him. And John Wick falls down and apparently cannot fire any longer, at which point the Marquis grabs the gun and, and excuses Kane and forgives him. And Kane is back in with the with the table and all the rest, at which point John Wick has not fired his final shot and he just kills the Marquis. And that's perfectly legal because he still had one shot left and the Marquis has stepped back in to deliver the coup de grace. Was this part of the plan? Was this an accident? How would you foresee that the Marquis would do such a thing? 
And also, if this was part of the plan, why would John Wick allow himself to be shot to death rather than simply, you know, faking being shot to death since he is shot twice before he is shot the third time? Okay, and then John Wick dies without having taken down the table, but having taken down a rather oddly effeminate French noble. And that's the end of the movie. Now, again, I don't think John Wick is actually dead. I think that entire conversation is meant to leave a way out. You know, is he in heaven? Is he in hell? And then they all laugh. <laughs> so probably he's still alive somewhere. Maybe that's John Wick 5. Maybe John Wick 5 is that it's going to be a big team up of everybody to take down the table. And that might justify part four. But if part four is supposed to be the conclusion, then again, the entire plot is, is driven wrong. Well, folks, the entire table is keeping its eye on John Wick. But what if there was somebody out there keeping their eye on you? Somebody who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day. Creepy, right? What if I told you that's exactly what happens every time you go online? Your ISP is tracking and logging every single website you've ever visited. They can legally sell that information to anyone. That's why I always use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your ISP can't track your online activity. You might be wondering, if I'm routing all my data through a VPN, can't that VPN log my data instead? That does happen, but not in the case of ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is the only VPN I trust because they use trusted server technology. That makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store data. They even had one of the biggest assurance firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, audit their technology so you know you can trust it. Stop letting people keep the logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash benyt. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash benyt. Get three extra months for free. Expressvpn.com slash benyt. Protect yourself the way you should with expressvpn.com slash benyt. Get three extra months free today. Okay, then let's get to some logistics. The entire German sequence makes no logistical sense. He goes to this weird nightclub in Berlin to meet with Fat Bastard, a.k.a. Killa, a.k.a. Kingpin. Fat Guy then proceeds to spend an entirely too long time explaining that he is bad and does bad things and is mean and is bad. He doesn't just kill John Wick for a reason no one can discern. Like when John Wick walks in, why doesn't he just shoot him in the head? In the scene where he fights Killa, we learn a couple things. One, Killa is sweating profusely while sitting behind the, the desk, literally just dealing cards. Second, he can't move amazing, right? Like when he's running away from John Wick, he's very slow to the point where John Wick can actually like throw things at him and hit him in the back repeatedly. And yet he is also an unbelievably powerful fighter. In fact, he does more damage to John Wick than anyone else in the film by a pretty fair margin. They have a giant battle in which John Wick and Killa go at it. They're shooting each other. They're, they're smacking each other. John Wick axes about 27 people in the head in that scene, like literally takes axes and hits people in the head in the scene. In the middle of a rave in Berlin with thousands of people dancing and people staring directly at him, hitting people in the head with axes. And apparently the dance is just too important because no matter where they went, they never stopped the dance. They just had to keep dancing forever. Here's where it really starts to go off the rails. Killa tosses him off a 50, 60 foot height and he hits a barrier on the way down. Boom. And then he hits the floor. Boom. That guy is super paralyzed. He is not just a little paralyzed, like super paralyzed. And we know that because we've already seen people earlier in the film fall down heights and die, like fall down staircases and be dead. But apparently that doesn't apply to John Wick. He falls down. He gets right back up. He is totally fine. Not only is he fine, he fights Killa. And in fact, Killa dies by falling from a great height. So apparently the laws of gravity do not apply to John Wick. That is only one of two major falls that John Wick takes in this film that do not kill him. He also, in a later scene, jumps out of a fourth story window and lands on a car, denting the roof of the car by like a foot, like full on denting the roof of the car and then down to the ground, totally fine. Then he gets thrown down a flight of 200 stairs. At this point, by the way, people in my theater were laughing. They're actively laughing out loud. When he, when he gets thrown down the stairs and he rolls down for like 45 seconds, just rolling down the stairs, he gets up and Kane says to him, let's go. And he's like, okay. 
and it basically becomes Wiley e. Coyote after a certain point. Like he's just falling off cliffs and it's like, and then five seconds later, he's back up and at him. Apparently totally fine. All is well. No problem whatsoever. He gets hit by like eight cars. They play Frogger around the Arc de Triomphe. No problem. He's fine. Other people get hit by one car. They're dead. He's fine. Suspension of disbelief is a subjective thing. There are going to be people who watch this review and they're like, well, you know, you 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 expect that John Wick could like run through 200 guys and just kill them all and, and be fine. Okay, yes, but there are certain rules to the universe that ought to apply. The rules ought to apply equally to everyone. In other words, if John Wick gets thrown off a fifth story building and he is totally fine and then another guy gets thrown off a fifth story building and is dead, you need an explanation as to why this would be the case. He's wearing a bulletproof suit. Do you understand how useless a bulletproof suit is? Truly useless? Especially because later we find out that he does not have a bulletproof shirt. So I'd just like you to, to, to examine for a second the fact that here's how a suit works. The suit covers part of your chest and your arms. The deadliest place to be shot would be like right here in the part the suit does not cover. So if you were going to form some sort of actual garment that would protect you, why not a bulletproof shirt? You know, that actually protects your vital organs. John Wick doesn't have a magic body. John Wick isn't a superhero. John Wick isn't made of iron. So because there is no consistency in that matter, there are all sorts of logistical problems that arise along these lines. Because of all these logistical issues, it starts to become non-suspenseful because there are no stakes. If it turns out that you can be shot, stabbed, hit by a car, thrown off a building, and you're fine, at a certain point, you're like, you can't kill the guy. It's not possible to kill the guy, which is why even at the end, everybody was like, is he really dead? Not so sure. Okay, this brings us to the problems with the action. So when it comes to the action in the movie, again, the action is just too long. There are cool action sequences, some of the coolest action sequences I've ever seen, actually, but they're all way too long. The Osaka sequence goes on and on and on and on. It has actually about one cool area that actually is interesting, and that is Donnie Yen's character, Kane. The action stuff involving Kane is totally inconsistent. On the one hand, they set up these really cool kind of tricks whereby Kane, who is blind, is able to fight amazingly well. So the coolest one of these is in the Osaka scene, where Kane puts a bunch of motion-activated doorbells in a room, and then when people walk by the motion-activated doorbells, he knows where they are so he can shoot them. That's a cool idea, right? He's using the power of sound in order to compensate for the fact he has no sight. But literally the rest of the film, he's just Rogue One guy, like same exact character. He's blind, but it doesn't matter that he's blind because he can basically operate just like a seeing person and better. He's Daredevil. This movie has both Kingpin and Daredevil. For action sequences, the entire idea is how do you work within the constraints of reality to create interesting ways for people to do cool things? And if you do it too many times over and over and over, it becomes a video game. And that's true of literally everything. It's like there was a good idea, and then they're like, what if we just do it for 20 minutes? So the entire Arc de Triomphe sequence, that's like a 15-minute sequence. The first three minutes are like, this is kind of amazing. And then the, the rest of it, you're like, this, it, it's just continuing and continuing. And it, the staircase sequence is endless. And like, you know he's getting to the top of the staircase, or there's no end of the movie. Do we really need 25 minutes of him making the same move to throw a guy down the stairs? Over and over, it's just him throwing people downstairs to the point where it actually becomes comic, where the action no longer becomes suspenseful or interesting. It actually just becomes funny. Okay, so let's finally get to character. This movie is replete with character problems, replete with them. So let's begin with John Wick. What is his motivation? We start off the movie and his motivation is I'm taking down the table. Interesting, good motivation. By 20 minutes into the film, that's no longer his motivation. Now his motivation is to be free of the table. Why? What's he going to do once he's free of the table? He has no life purpose. His wife is dead. His dog is dead. He's got nothing. So what exactly does he intend to do with his life that makes him such a rampaging killer? Revenge is a good motive, right? That was his motive in, in movie one. Quasi-revenge was still his motive in, in movie two. In movie four, that was supposed to be his motive, was, was revenge. And then they remove it from revenge to 
he wants his freedom, which does require you to ask the question as to why he wants his freedom. And the answer is he doesn't really, which is why Kane ends up killing him. Okay, so that's a real problem for John Wick. It means that his character is less interesting in this film because you don't actually know what he's doing or why he is doing it. Okay, then you get Kane. Kane is the only interesting character in the film. Kane is given a clear motivation. He's doing what he has to do in order to protect his daughter because the table has leverage over him in the form of his daughter. And he has this sort of interesting conflict because he's friends with all the people who he is designated to kill. Okay, that, that's an interesting motivation. What is Shimazu's motivation exactly? To protect John Wick and to what extent? He doesn't know where John Wick really is going from Japan. So when Kane asks him, where is John Wick? He can just say, I don't know. And then Kane be like, okay, bye. Instead, he, he decides to get himself killed for no apparent reason. Winston's motivations are completely bewildering. He's on John Wick's side, but he has his own interests. I do have to point here that Ian McShane, I don't know when he substituted chiclets for his teeth, but his teeth in this film are out of control. He, he went from having like normal people teeth to the giantest white teeth you have ever seen, and it's, it's extremely distracting. I'm not sure whose teeth are more distracting, his teeth or Killa's golden teeth. He apparently wants his hotel back so he can work for the table again, but we don't understand why since the table has screwed him. It's just it, all very unclear. None of the motivations here are particularly clear and they're all kind of a mess. So in synopsis, this movie is about Kane. The part of the movie about Kane is interesting, but that's because Kane is basically John Wick in John Wick 2. He's in the same conundrum. The table is holding him hostage to do a thing he doesn't actually want to do, and he's brought into a world he doesn't want to inhabit, and he has to fight his way out. He's the only interesting character in the film. It has some great action moments in a two-hour and 49-minute film. It does not have any thrust to the plot. It does not have forward momentum. The villain, the Marquise, does not make any sense. His motivation doesn't make any sense. The, the John Wick's motivation doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. I wish I had loved John Wick 4. I do. But I have to say, I do think that there is one added piece here, and that piece makes me a little more than a little annoyed. If indeed John Wick 4 was originally set up to be John Wick takes down the table, the story, why did they shift away from that? Why? I have only one answer for you. Cheap money grabs. What they want after John Wick 4 is that John Wick has become a very lucrative franchise. And they already have filmed, apparently, a film with Anna de Armas called Ballerina, in which she takes on the table. John Wick does a cameo in it. So they're doing a spinoff with Anna de Armas as the action star. By the way, it's going to fail. Just telling you right now, it ain't going to have the same appeal as Keanu Reeves killing his way in grisly fashion through the world because there has yet to be a major action picture that is James Bond-style action starring a woman that works. One of the reasons being that Anna de Armas is maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. Keanu Reeves is six foot and a dude. And so Anna de Armas pushing around guys who are 300 pounds just does not have quite the same kick, literally. Uh, so there's that. But they need that franchise. They also are apparently talking about a spinoff franchise with Akira, the daughter of Shimazu in this film. And so they had to preserve the entire table apparatus for future films. And so in doing so, they end up having John Wick face off against a largely irrelevant stand-in villain. And it just, it doesn't, doesn't do the trick. It doesn't do the trick. Alrighty, folks. Again, I wish I had loved it. Out of four stars, I give John Wick four two stars. Uh, man, wish I could rate it differently, but I have to go with my heart. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 